Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Hello and welcome to Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about an important subject. And it is a subject that's going to be a little bit difficult because of the subject matter that has been raised in respect of this issue. So I did want to give a warning before we got too deep into any kinds of details uh, that we are going to be talking about things that are ancillary to sexual violence and rape, not in any kind of specificity, but if you have any sensitivities to those topics, I do recommend you catch me on the next Virtual Legality. Undoubtedly, the next episode is not going to be about these things, and I welcome you to to join me then. Uh, But for now, what I really want to talk about in this episode is the difference between rules, contract terms, and standards or guidelines or regulations that are flexible or ambiguous. Because I think what we have seen here in the Steam story that I'm going to update you on in the next uh, few minutes, is a difference of opinion as to what can be accomplished with standards and what cannot. And I think that there's a lot of areas there for people to get burned. Uh, And that's really what I want to raise in this video. And unfortunately, as these things often are, uh, the nature of these kinds of disputes relate to the most abhorrent kind of subject matter. Uh, One of the things I really remember when I was in law school was discussions on First Amendment cases, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of association, things of that nature. And one of the things that was really drilled into us was the nature of uh, somebody needing defense representation for abhorrent acts uh, or otherwise needing to be protected. And the nature of free speech and the amendments to the Constitution, United States, of course, uh, being that the people that are really going to need that protection are the people you're not going to want to protect. That's the truth of the matter. Uh, And certainly we're not talking about a U.S. government issue here. We're not talking about a constitutional issue. We're talking about a private actor that is more than welcome to do whatever it likes with its own private business and uh, resources and assets. Uh, But the same kind of discussion point of when you kind of open things up and you start talking about things on the margins, the people that are really going to try to push that envelope and that you're going to wind up in discussions and debates about online are the people that are probably going to say abhorrent things, are going to be representing abhorrent issues. And that certainly is the case with our story today. So we're going to go essentially from the the end of the story to the beginning because what happened today is that Valve ultimately removed this game from its Steam service. Uh, But I do want to to talk about really the details of what Steam has done over the last uh, 18 months uh, in terms of changing its standards to allow more and more games onto its service, primarily because it has struggled with the same difficulties we just talked about, which is what to curate, what not to curate, to avoid political discussions, to avoid sensitivities, uh, and to not get into the business of telling one group that they're right or another group that they're wrong. Of course, when you're talking about rape, there's no group that is really very pro-it 
And so it was kind of an easy thing to see that this would happen in respect of this product. But it's not quite as easy to see exactly how Steam has justified the removal under its current set of rules. And that's really where the problem lives, and that's what I want to talk about. But let's read the article. I've got here from Eurogamer uh, an article as updated, uh, and so it's going to read with the update first, then we're going to talk about the actual details here. Uh, But it says, Valve Under Fire, as sexually explicit game glorifying rape, is listed on Steam. Update, Valve says it has decided not to distribute Rape Day, the name of the game, due to unknown costs and risks. And we're going to talk about that statement uh, probably at length here in this video. Uh, It's a good PR statement insofar as it doesn't say anything and it doesn't allow you to pin down Steam or Valve on any kind of vector. Uh, But it's a problematic statement for anybody that's trying to glean whether or not something that is remotely controversial is going to make it through Steam's uh, gateway. Uh, And that's really what they were trying to avoid uh, last year and what it's apparent is not avoidable uh, from the Steam kind of Valve perspective. Uh, Reading this article, Valve says it has decided not to distribute Rape Day, a sexually explicit game in which, according to its Steam listing page, players are able to control the choices of a menacing serial killer rapist. Last year, following the furor around school shooting game Active Shooter, Valve unveiled a new content policy for its digital storefront, announcing that it would allow everything onto the Steam store except for things that we decide are illegal or straight-up trolling. In light of this, Valve says its decision not to distribute Rape Day on Steam warrants further explanation. And then they start talking about what Steam has said in their blog post. We're going to look at that directly. As I've mentioned in prior videos in virtual legality, I much prefer looking at primary source material rather than reporting on it, not because there is anything wrong in this article or anybody's trying any sleight of hand whatsoever, uh, but just in the choices that you make on what to highlight and what quotes to make, you can lose context. And so I recommend to anybody that's reading a story on anything, whether it's about video games or more or something more important or serious, to try to find the primary source material if you can, uh, whether that's a court case, whether that's uh, a document that somebody is relating to you through a, a news article. It's always illuminating. It's always enlightening. Uh, and a lot more, especially services on the Internet, are providing those primary source materials for you to take a look at. Uh, but the story here actually describes what happened. And it says, Rape Day, created by developer Deskplant, is a visual novel with 500 images and over 7,000 words that, according to its Steam page, enables players to verbally harass, kill, and rape women as they choose to progress the story. Its contents include violence, sexual assault, non-consensual sex, obscene language, necrophilia, and incest. The accompanying sexually explicit screenshots are as unpleasant as its text description suggests. Deskplant's game has seemingly been listed on Steam for several weeks now, with an estimated release date of April. Unsurprisingly, questions are now being asked as to how a game with such a brazen title and content descriptors managed to make it onto Steam in the first place, and what this says of Valve's approval processes for listing on its store. Uh, And it goes again, uh, talk about what happened last uh, June or July regarding the Valve laissez-faire anything goes approach that we're going to talk about um, in just a second. Uh, But it does say that its official guidelines, which are not from the blog post where they made that change, offer a little more clarity, prohibiting adult content that isn't appropriately labeled and age-gated, libelous or defamatory statements, content that developers don't own or have adequate rights to, content that violates the laws of any jurisdiction in which it will be available, content that exploits children in any way, 
applications that modify customers' computers in unexpected or harmful ways, such as malware or viruses, and applications that fraudulently attempt to gather sensitive inf information, such as Steam credentials. Uh, Eurogamer goes on to say something here, uh, which I think has a fairly obvious answer if you're into video games at all or you know the industry at all, and if you're watching this video or listening to this podcast, chances are that you do. Crucially, Valve's policies do not appear to prohibit the depiction of illegal acts, but rather acts whose depiction is illegal, uh, which is a rather lawyerly way of saying they don't prohibit games that have murder or violence or crimes or allow you to commit crimes, uh, but they only prohibit uh, depictions of things that are, are by law illegal. Um, so you think of things that are essentially illegal to even create or to own, things like uh, very specific kinds of pornography uh, or things uh, of that nature. Depending on the, the state, the, the country, there are other things that are obviously prohibited from being owned or created that would also fall under that kind of description. Obviously, there is a clear reason why Valve does not prohibit depictions of illegal acts, uh, because uh, most games uh, feature some form of violence that would probably be illegal in certain contexts and definitely illegal uh, in the way they are depicted in, in many of these games. If you're thinking of something like Grand Theft Auto, stealing cars and murdering people is not okay in the real world. Don't do that. Uh, but it's certainly uh, acceptable in our modern day and age of, of video gaming and is one of the more popular video games on Earth. So Valve can't really take a stand and say, we're not going to allow depictions of any illegal acts. Uh, that's not something they can do. They have to start to kind of slice this onion in very specific ways. Uh, and what had happened in social media uh, when this all came out uh, was that Valve started taking it from all sides in terms of people uh, complaining to them about the fact that this game was made available on the store. And certainly some of the complaints I thought uh, made a lot of sense to me from a business perspective, from a marketing perspective, which were folks getting out there and saying, hey, developers, uh, do you want to be on a storefront next to Rape Day? Do you want your next major AAA game to have its thumbnail right next to a game like this? And the answer to that is almost undoubtedly no. Uh, and so when we start talking about what happened here, this was always going to uh, be what occurred, in my opinion. I have a couple of tweets out there uh, from a couple days ago that said, hey, look, um, Steam is going to remove this. Valve is going to remove this. I don't know what standard they're going to use. There isn't an easy one to use for what they have put out there. Uh, but what they'll probably say is we know it when, we'll, when we see it, when something has crossed an invisible line. Uh, and we're going to see in their statement today that's exactly what they said, is essentially we'll know it when we see it, uh, and which presents its own problems. Uh, this is the kind of thing that everybody can agree on. Certainly, I don't want this game out there. I don't want it being sold. I'm uncomfortable with the subject matter and that people are creating it, period. And I think Steam is right to say that it shouldn't be allowed. Uh, but where that line is drawn and where it isn't drawn is it going to be a continuing question for folks that are a couple steps back from this line. Uh, whether or not they're talking about something particularly sensitive uh, in the marketplace, something uh, like a political issue. Uh, whether they've got a, a game about illegal immigration or a game about uh, abortion or a game about fascism or, or, or Nazism uh, or other kind of political stands, uh, you know, what position is Steam going to take? And is Steam going to take a different position if Twitter and Facebook and Reddit and Tumblr and whoever decide that this is going to be a thing that they want to press uh, from a social media standpoint and they want Steam to do uh, what they ask for?
Uh, if that is going to be the case, then Steam's going to find itself right back where it was before the active shooter issue happened last year, which I know is something that they want to avoid. It may not be avoidable, and that's part of the conversation, and it's something I'd ask you to add to my comments if you have any thoughts on this in general. This might be something where a digital storefront just needs to curate, uh, and it's not going to be acceptable any other way. They need to put in the money, uh, and if you don't like their curation, you can go on to the next store. Obviously, Steam is trying to uh, have its cake and eat its too insofar as it's trying to present a storefront that everybody can enjoy uh, and simultaneously not limit anything that anybody wants to put up there, uh, which is proving to be its own problem. But I do recommend this article. Eurogamer did a good job covering it. There are a number of articles about this topic that I'm not including in this video. I saw one from PC Gamer. I saw one from Kotaku. I saw one from Polygon. There's a lot to look at here. A lot of people have their own thoughts. I, I certainly think... The, the enormous groundswell of opinion that this is not an acceptable game and it shouldn't be available on a major mainstream game site. And I am amenable to that. Um, but I think the way that Steam has gone about it is problematic in and of itself. Uh, and that's really what I want to talk about. So let's take a look at what Steam and Valve put into place when the active shooter issue happened last year. When Steam threw up its hands and said, hey, curation is too hard. We don't want to be the bad guys deciding what, what it is you can and cannot see. We just want to make money here running a storefront. And so we're essentially going to let anything in that wants to be in. Let's take a look at the actual language that they used. So we're looking now at a blog post from June of 2018, June 6th of 2018. It says, who gets to be on the Steam store? Recently, there's been a bunch of community discussion around what kinds of games we're allowing onto the Steam store. As is often the case, the discussion caused us to spend some time examining what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we could be doing it better. This then pontificates a little bit and talks about, oh, the things that we uh, need to do to make ourselves a better company, to be uh, better uh, stewards of the product that we're putting out there. But it says at the end of the day, after all of this kinds of conversing about what it is and, and moving back and forth, it says, so we ended up going back to one of the principles in the forefront of our minds when we started Steam. And more recently, as we worked on Steam Direct to open up the store to many more developers. Valve shouldn't be the ones deciding this. If you're a player, we shouldn't be choosing for you what content you can or can't buy. If you're a developer... We shouldn't be choosing what content you're allowed to create. Those choices should be yours to make. Our role should be to provide systems and tools to support your efforts to make these choices for yourself and to help you do it in a way that makes you feel comfortable. It's a very kind of libertarian notion. If you're familiar with Bioshock, it's very much, you can see Andrew Ryan saying these kinds of things that, we want you to be the ones to decide who are we to judge, uh, and we just want to make tools that allow anybody to get their code out there and us to take our 30% uh, whenever they would like to do so. And that is, I think, in and of itself, with no bad actors in a perfect world, a noble kind of stance to take. Hey, we don't want to be in the business of gatekeeping. If you've got an interesting game, put it out there. If it's mildly controversial, we don't want to be telling you you shouldn't have it out there. Uh, and so you should be able to put it on the store. Obviously, when these things happen, it doesn't take a great prognosticator to say, okay, that's interesting. Well, it's only going to be a little while before someone really tries to test those boundaries. And I think with Rape Day, we came right up against one of them. Uh, and it certainly seems to be a kind of 
de facto ruling against depictions of rape, particularly, I would say, glorifications of rape, because I do think that there are certain stories and certain video games that are, are currently on the store uh, that at least allied to issues related to sexual violence and talking about them. And I think games uh, as a medium uh, have an extraordinary ability to have political impact, to make sensitive statements, to make sensitive stands about politically important issues, about violence uh, in uh, the workplace or in life or in general, and that interactivity at a video game level can can raise those issues, can raise that awareness in a very specific way that can be very good. Um, and so I think uh, those aren't likely to be banned. Those aren't likely to be problematic. But when you have something that comes out and essentially says, hey, rape is great, uh, that's not a position that anybody's going to stand behind. And it is certainly a position that I would be willing to guess wound up with Valve and its developer partners having a number of phone calls about what they were doing with their store and whether or not Ubisoft or uh, other big developers, Capcom, wanted their games up next to a, a rape day. Uh, and obviously they wouldn't want that. And so what did that mean for Steam? If you followed my other videos on virtual legality, you know Valve and Steam are in a period of transition as it stands, that the Epic Game Store is trying to come for them and their market. Uh, whether or not they have success is still very much up in the air, uh, but Steam is certainly feeling the pressure from a competitor for the first time in a long time that is willing to put its money where its mouth is and try to steal games uh, from its exclusivity uh, and, and put them only on the Epic Game Store. So this was another vector in which I'm sure Epic and its business management folks were getting on the phone with the Ubisofts of the world and saying, hey, do you really want to be on that platform when you could be on our platform? where we're going to curate it and we're going to highlight you and we're going to treat you as kings. Look at what Steam is doing. You don't want to be a part of that. And in that marketplace, I think Steam did pretty much the only thing that they could do by removing it from their, uh, from their platform. Uh, but when we get to the statement that they actually made, I think you're going to find it as wanting as I do, uh, which is that it doesn't provide any kind of parameters. Uh, and and that's, that's always going to be a problem. Uh, when we talk about the difference between standards and, and real rules. Standards and guidelines are great if you're on the corporate side or if you're on the side that's putting forth those standards and guidelines because you get to decide when they're violated. They're not so great for people that are trying to plan out their business, plan out their lives, and figure out what is going to make it past the now black box of gatekeepers that are running Steam and Valve, uh, which might sound like too much of a parade of horribles coming from something like this. And I will admit, it's essentially a kind of slippery slope argument from where we're at right now. I don't think this is the kind of thing where anybody can really disagree with this action. But I think it is the kind of thing where we can talk about what Steam's doing and whether or not it's an appropriate action in the face of this. That maybe they should have had a stronger statement. Maybe they should have had more specific rules that they put out there when this happened that could help guide developers, that could help guide the people that are putting their lives on the line, that are quitting their jobs, that are taking out $80,000 loans to fund their companies. If something is going to be on the borderline and Steam just says, nah, we're not going to take it, does that, does that cripple these folks? Uh, and that's something that I think Steam really has to take under advisement as a, uh, as a burden that they have taken on with their massive market share in this PC market and really being a kind of gatekeeper for a lot of indie developers uh, and to get the kind of exposure that those indie developers want to, to live the lives they want and to, to fill their own dreams of making video games. Uh, looking forward on this statement, they go on to say, with that principle in mind, we've decided that the right approach is to allow everything onto the Steam store except for things we decide are illegal 
or straight up trolling. So pausing right there, the lawyer in me notices a couple things. One, this statement says we decide are illegal or straight up trolling. Uh, If you were to be negotiating this as a contract, and it's very important to note this isn't a contract. This isn't anything that Steam is bound to. If you want to turn in a game to them and they say no, you didn't have a relationship with them. This isn't a due process issue. You know, the government is bound by certain things with respect to law, with respect to the Constitution, to treat people evenly, to treat them with due process fairly, to not act arbitrarily and capriciously is the legal magic words for it. But Steam is under no such obligation. They can put this standard out there because they want to be seen as good actors. They want to be seen as encouraging development growth. But if they just decide, oh, this is illegal, you can't go to a lawyer and say, here are the statutes that say it isn't illegal and provide a case and put together a PowerPoint presentation and get on Skype and have the conversation with them. If they decide it's illegal, it's illegal. They are the law in terms of whether or not you get on the Steam service, which is just, but it's important to note that they do set that standard. We decide are illegal or straight up trolling, which as a lawyer is a broad enough loophole to drive a truck through. Is Rape Day straight up trolling? I think so, probably. I think you could argue that it is, that nobody in their right mind would make a game like this. And so it's essentially trying to troll the Steam store. Uh, They might disagree. They might say, hey, we think that there's a niche out there that wants this kind of product. And you've said that you're going to honor everything that wants to be on this storefront. But I think you could argue that it's straight up trolling. So Steam, even in this statement, has reserved the right to kind of say, hey, look, We understand what we're saying here, but if you really put us in a corner, we are going to back down. We're going to take you off the store. And that's what they did. And it's not just players that need better tools either. Developers who build controversial content shouldn't have to deal with harassment because their game exists and will be building tools and options to support them too. This is particularly interesting because you see here Steam trying to appeal to both sides. The consumers that they know are going to be faced with things that they hate and the developers that are going to be making these slightly or in Rape Day's case, extremely controversial type subject matter games. And they want to say, hey, developers, you shouldn't be harassed just because something is controversial. Rape Day is obviously not what they had in mind, uh, but they are trying to appeal to both sides here by saying we're going to help facilitate controversial developers to get their thing done to avoid harassment from our player base, which, as we've talked about in a couple of other videos now in the virtual legality series, is something that Steam has to grapple with all the time. Review bombing is a thing uh, that people do on Steam, where they review games that are only tangentially related to some real-world concern, whether that's a business issue, whether that's a political issue, whether that's an inclusivity issue, and they review bomb games that are only tangentially related to that concern. Uh, And so... They, Steam understands, Valve understands, they have a toxicity issue in certain corners, uh, and they certainly have just a kind of political pragmatic issue in the fact that a number of people think review bombing is okay. I have said my piece on video on virtual legality. I recommend checking out some of my other videos. Uh, I don't think review bombing is a, a good way of communicating your message, and I think it's a bad way in particular of kind of diluting the importance and usefulness of reviews on the Steam system especially. Uh, but that notwithstanding, Steam is trying to get out here in a statement and say, we're going to help controversial developers. Obviously, that wasn't the case with Rape Day, and I don't think anything anybody could really disagree with their stance there, uh, but it certainly is a new wrinkle to what they created last year. Uh, I have a few more segments from this message that I wanted to uh, convey. This is, again, Steam from June of last year. So what does this mean? It means that the Steam store is going to contain something that you hate and don't think should exist. 
Unless you don't have any opinions, that's guaranteed to happen. But you're also going to see something on the store that you believe should be there, and some other people will hate it and want it not to exist. So they're trying to get out in front of this. They're trying to say, hey, look, if we do this, there's going to be stuff that you think is absolutely abhorrent. There's going to be a pro-abortion game. There's going to be an anti-abortion game. There's going to be a pro or an anti-illegal immigration game. And we are going to put it up there because we think it's important to have everybody have their voices. We didn't really anticipate there being a glorification and pro-rape game. And so that's why they're taking the steps that they're taking now. It also means that the games we allow onto the store will not be a reflection of Valve's values, beyond a simple belief that you all have the right to create and consume the content you choose. The two points above apply to all of us at Valve as well. If you see something on Steam that you think should not exist, it's almost certain that someone at Valve is right there with you. To be explicit about that, if we allow your game onto the store, it does not mean we approve or agree with anything you're trying to say with it. However, offending someone shouldn't take away your game's voice. I think, again, in a perfect world, in a world where there aren't any bad actors or anybody trying to push the envelope, I think there's a lot of nobility to this statement. There's a lot of naivete, uh, if we're being honest, about what people would do with such a policy and what we are seeing them do with a policy like this. Uh, But I think there is nobility in Steam should not be the gatekeeper for what is and isn't a game and for what you should be seeing and what you should be spending your dollars on. Obviously, from a marketing and business standpoint, outside of things like this rape day controversy, there, there is a lot of good reason for Steam to do this. The more games on the service, presumably the more money they can make. Uh, That's without talking about discoverability, which is a different Steam issue. Uh, But just kind of on the whole, if you've got more games available, presumably you're satisfying more people's uh, requests for games and you're making more money. You're you're getting your 30% cut from more products in the marketplace. So there's a lot of reason for Steam to take this kind of position. Uh, But we can see now with Rape Day uh, that they had to back down on it even though they had put in all these disclaimers that say, we know people are going to hate certain things. It doesn't represent Valve. It doesn't represent anything we're about. There are going to be people at our offices that hate it just as much as you. They said all the right things. But when push came to shove on this particular game, they said, no, 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 no. We can't have this on there. Uh, But did they even say it's illegal? Did they even say it's trolling? No, they did not. So let's take a look at their statement today. Rape Day will not ship on Steam. Over the past week, you may have heard about a game called Rape Day coming soon to Steam. Today we've decided not to distribute this game on Steam. Given our previous communication around who gets to be on the Steam store, we think this decision warrants further explanation. I I would agree. I think that's a good first statement. Hey, uh, we know what we said last year. We're going to have to say something more. I will tell you, if you're not looking at this at a video, if you're only listening to this on a podcast, there's only about five more sentences from there. It's not a fulsome explanation. It is not a long-winded explanation. It doesn't go in-depth as far as we have even gone in-depth on this video just talking about the Steam situation and about Rape Day. So I think they did miss an opportunity for for greater clarity to put forth more specific standards that people can uh, understand and that can uh, operate their businesses around. But let's take a look at the full statement. Much of our policy around what we distribute is and must be reactionary. We simply have to wait and see what comes to us via Steam Direct. 
We then have to make a judgment call about any risk it puts to Valve, our developer partners, or our customers. After significant fact-finding and discussion, we think Rape Day poses unknown costs and risks, and therefore won't be on Steam. We respect developers' desires to express themselves, and the purpose of Steam is to help developers find an audience. But this developer has chosen content matter, and a way of representing it, that makes it very difficult for us to help them do that. So let's unpack that a little bit. The very first sentence they say is, we need to be reactionary. We have to wait and see what comes to us via Steam Direct. I mentioned earlier in this video, I mentioned in my tweets earlier today, this comes across to me very much as, we'll know the significant problems. We'll know who crossed the line when we see it. Uh, and that is problematic as a standard. Uh, we talked about it earlier in this video as well, but it's pretty clear that something like Rape Day would have this happen to it on Steam. I thought that this would happen, and it did. Uh, but it's not as clear, again, when you walk one step back from the line, when you walk two steps back from the line, what, if anything, Valve will do about it? And what, if anything, the marketing issues, the social media presence that happened in respect of this, the Eurogamer articles, the Kotaku articles, the Polygon articles, what impact they had on what Steam decided to do? When they say something like, the risk it puts to Valve, our developer partners or our customers, some of that sounds to me, rings to me, of, okay, we got the message, we got on the phone with Ubisoft, we got on the phone with Capcom, they're not happy with us, and we have to take care of them. Um, and that presents its own kinds of problems, because if it's our developer partners that we're talking about, in some respects, outside of the rape day context, put that aside, because I'm in agreement with the move to remove it from the store. Outside of that context, is it really appropriate for other developers to be able to talk to Valve to call them up and say, we don't want this game on the store? How can that be abused? When we talk about potential competitors, other developers saying, mm, I'd prefer if I didn't have to compete with this video game. I think that's a problem. And I think it's the kind of problem that Valve could easily avoid if they were more specific about the standards they were putting forth rather than allowing them this great ambiguity, which admittedly gives them power. It gives them authority to do things like this, to just say, nah, we're not interested. Uh, putting forth standards, while they could still do that, as we talked about, it makes it harder for them to do. If you go out there with those standards and somebody complies with those standards, you get a reverse marketing issue if you deny them, right? They can go to the same kinds of uh, internet outlets and say, hey, look, we met with all these standards. They admit we met with all these standards, but they just said no. That's another kind of PR issue for Steam. So we talk about this, and while it makes all the sense in the world, and I think this was always going to be what happened with respect to this game, it does create its own problems. In, on top of that, what they actually describe is, after significant fact-finding and discussion, so fact-finding is interesting. You wonder what they were fact-finding, probably looking through the images that were intended to be in the game, as well as certain applicable laws, uh, if any of the things that were depicted in the game could possibly, potentially uh, be illegal in some fashion, uh, whether in the United States or elsewise, that might give Valve some backing. That's what I imagine when I hear fact-fighting. Discussion just sounds like internal talks about what, what they're going to do, uh, because they can't, as we discussed with the Eurogamer article, they can't just say it's not allowed because it's a depiction of an illegal act, because most games are. 
And so that can't be the vector on which they prohibit things uh, because that would eliminate most of their library. Uh, and so they say poses unknown costs and risks and therefore won't be on Steam. That doesn't tell us anything. I agree from a lawyerly perspective. When you say unknown costs and risks, I immediately think of unknown liabilities. Uh, we've talked about this in the context of terms and conditions and, and contract terms on other virtual legality videos. But one of the things that you do when you're negotiating a contract, when you're having those discussions with another party, is try to isolate your potential liabilities and either get them down or at least get them known. So you can say whether or not it makes sense to enter into this contract with this other party. And this is a kind of contract that Steam enters into with its developers is to say, all right, we're going to sell this for you. We're going to take our 30%. Uh, but we don't know X, Y, or Z. We don't know if this is going to cost us other developers. We don't know if this is going to cost us goodwill in public relations because Polygon and Kotaku and everyone else is going to keep hammering us for having this out in the store. We don't know whether this is going to be deemed potentially illegal in certain locales, and that's going to potentially have us be a member of a contributory liability uh, issue. If those are the types of things that we're talking about, I would much rather have them say that then simply say unknown costs and risks. When you see a phrase like this in a statement like this, as a lawyer, my mind goes to uh, you're trying to hide something. Uh, what is unknown costs and risks? Obviously, you're, you don't want your liability to balloon, and we can understand that. But it sounds to me like after fact-finding and discussions, you have a little bit more uh, specificity with which you've made this decision. Obviously, you have. This is an important decision and in the full public relations spotlight. So when you come out and say unknown costs and risks, I, lawyer, uh, parade of horribles person that I am, assume the worst. Uh, and I think that there is something that they don't want to say uh, in respect of what they're doing here. And uh, truthfully, I don't know exactly what that is, except it's something that they don't want to have said, uh, I believe, in relation to the blog post that they made last year. They don't want to walk that back. And so they are taking these kinds of half-measured approaches, these ambiguous approaches. Um, they say this developer has chosen content matter and a way of representing it that makes it very difficult for us to help them uh, put their game out there, but they don't explain any additional detail on that. Uh, and I think Steam should be in a position to say exactly what the problem was with this game. Obviously, glorifying rape, I think, is something that everybody could agree is uh, something that you don't want on, uh, on the system. And so I think it, it would be a pretty easy rule to have. One of the pieces of the Eurogamer article that I glided over when we discussed, discussed it earlier in this video was the notion that Steam uh, in its content pages and the discussions that people were having about Rape Day was censoring the word rape, that that's not a word that's allowed on their service in the, the user-generated content fields. And I think one of the things that could happen is you could just say, okay, the, the items, the subject matter that we are automatically censoring as we don't want you discussing on our service Maybe if those things appear in the title or appear prominently in the description of the game, that at least gets a second higher, heightened scrutiny type review at the Steam level. Anything to really put kind of parameters around this. Uh, because while I don't think Rape Day belongs on the store, I do think a number of other controversial type games could belong on the store. Games that don't exist yet. Uh, because I do think video games are so important and they are such a modern medium that does provide that intimacy, that can communicate messages better than books, better than movies, better than TV shows. I want to have those discussions. I want to see what creators that really have something serious to say that I might adamantly disagree with 
want to put out there on Steam. I want to have those conversations. I want to see those products. And when you have something like this, I imagine the two-person, the three-person, the four-person development house that is making something controversial, that is making something maybe highly controversial, not something that glorifies rape, but maybe something that glorifies a political position that is uh, abhorrent to significant sections uh, of this country or another country. And whether or not they look at something like this and say, oh my God, we quit our jobs and we bought these computers and we put all of our assets into this thing. And if it doesn't go up on Steam, our business model is blown out of the water. What do they do? Um, certainly if you're sophisticated enough, if you've got the right contacts, maybe if you've got a history in the video game industry, maybe you have someone that you can call and you can try to get steam on the horn, uh, but they move so many games so fast through their system. I suspect uh, if you're a little independent developer, you're not going to be able to get answers very easily. You're not going to be able to get answers very quickly. And that's the kind of thing I worry about. That's the difference between rules and standards. When you have rules, when you have quantifiable boxes to check things that you can, uh, dedicate your game to fulfilling in order to get access to a storefront, in order to meet the requirements for being on a store, that is something that you can accomplish. That is something that you can aim at. If it's just this kind of nebulous, we allow everything except when we don't, I really worry about the chilling effect that that can have on development of ideas and concepts and games that I really think should be out there. And I think absolutely 100% this game should have been taken off their storefront. It is unacceptable to 99.9999999% of society. And I have absolutely no problem with their decision to do that. What I do have a problem with is the way they've done it in their messaging with what they have established as their essentially non-standards. We'll know it when we see it. And if we see it, you're out. Uh, is going to have on the development community. And I think that's an unfortunate thing. That's Steam has had a number of issues over the past couple months, past couple of years, and this is one of the reasons, one of the areas where I think, yeah, it's very useful to have competitors in the marketplace. Not because I think Epic's going to win, not because I want them to win. I'd be perfectly happy if Steam just got better. I have a lot of I have a lot of games in my library on Steam. I've liked their service for a long time. Everybody can get better every day. And this is one of those areas where I think they really need to look at their curation. They really need to look at what they're about. Uh, and if they want to have a kind of laissez-faire open-door policy, that's fine. But they need to much better articulate what it is that's going to keep you out of that open door. Once they do that, I think Steam service will be a lot better overall. Uh, and that's virtual legality for today. Uh, if you're new to the series, if you're new to the channel, uh, I talk about these things, video games, information services, information technology, digital issues, uh, as well as business and law in general, really anything that catches my eye. Uh, I am a corporate lawyer. I do incorporate businesses, help them get funded and started. And so I love all of this stuff and think I can bring an eye to the video game industry in particular, but really a lot of the entertainment industries, pop culture uh, that maybe some other folks don't have and don't bring. So if you like this video, please do like it. Please subscribe to my channel. I do these videos very regularly. Uh, and if you're catching this on podcast, thank you so very much for listening. And otherwise, thank you for watching. I will catch you on the next Virtual Legality.